Good morning, everybody. God bless Tennessee. Come on. God bless Tennessee. Amen. Amen. Somebody's got to say it. Somebody's got to speak it. Okay, we're going to run quick. First, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to talk about tonight. So, we're going to do a little commercial here. So, hang with me here just a minute. I like to, I've been talking to my kids a lot lately about seeing the end from the beginning. You know, if you don't know where you're going, you don't know what you're doing. Somebody told me one time years ago, a great spiritual father said, the greatest thing you'll ever do about reading the Bible is said, where do I start? You know, most people say, well, start with the book of John. You know, and then, then just kind of work your way through. So, I did. I started in John, went back and hit Matthew, went to Revelation. And it was interesting, the time I got to Revelation, that's the one that really messed me up. Revelation just scared the snot out of me, messed with me, and I just... <laughs> but it was the only book I had read so far that said, blessed are those that read and understand the words of this book. I thought, well, now that's something. I need to make a bumper sticker out of that. So, now when I deal with people and counsel, especially my own kids, I've taken them all back to the book of Revelation. Say, so, what are you starting about? Start with Revelation. Start with the end. If you know where the end is, right now it's not that big a deal. But if you don't know where you're going, right now it's a really big deal because the devil's messing with it. So I'm going to cover three things now. I'm going to just list them real simple. Number one, I'm going to run. I've got to watch myself. I'll preach this this morning. I don't want to do that. Who you become is determined by how you pray. Prayer is not a religious thing. It's a legal thing. I've told my kids, if you're not praying every day, you're in trouble. The Bible says pray without ceasing. That's not just a saying in a bookstore. That's a real deal. God cannot move in your life if you're not praying. God's not a human. He's not moved by pity. He's moved by faith. Prayer, prayer, pray, pray. I told it every time I come, Jesus never ministered to anybody unless he asked them what they wanted. What do you want, blind man? What do you want, crippled man? What's he doing? Well, it's a legal deal. I can't do for you what you don't ask me to do. Satan is the God of this planet temporarily. His lease is running out. Jesus is not Lord over this planet. Jesus is Lord over me. So you got to learn how to pray. Pray without ceasing. So you're going to become what you pray. So you need to pray a lot. You know, I used to tell my kids, if I followed you around all day with a stopwatch, how much time did you give to prayer today? You gave time to other stuff. What about prayer? Because eventually, and I've told it every time I've been to all my high school reunions, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, all the way up to 40. And it's amazing who turned out good and who didn't. It's entertaining. It's depressing. God, how could you have been so smart, good looking, got so dumb and so ugly in such a short amount of time? <laughs> I mean, I just like, it was just like, you're who? You got to look at the picture. God, that didn't turn out good. <laughs> now, I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm just telling the truth. Like, whoa, makes me go look in the mirror. Like, I think I've got better. My God, that's bad. So you got to start praying about stuff. So you got to get a list, and you got to put a list together. So we're going to talk about that. Now the time was be real short. I'm going to do it in 60 minutes. I promise these 60 minutes. But first of all, you're going to become what you pray. So what are you praying? Number two, and I like this one: Joshua 6, 1 through 2. God speaks from past tense. God told Joshua that you've given you the promised land. I'm not going to give it to you. I've already given. Now you're going to have to cross the river and whip the snot out of something, but it's yours. God never talks in future tense. He talks in past tense. I have. Who I am in Christ. By Jesus' stripes, I was healed. I am blessed. Not going to be. I am. And if you don't get that, then your prayer is going to get kind of weak because you're praying, you're asking God to do something he's already done. That's why Billy Graham even said praise is more powerful than prayer. I said, you pray long enough, you'll start just thanking him because you realize it's already done. My salvation has already been bought. I'm not begging God to save me. It's been bought. I'm just receiving it as a gift. My guidance has already been provided. God orders my steps, directs my paths. It's already been provided. i got to get in the mode where I'm in the Word of God, which goes back to the three basic scriptures, 3 John 2. I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. Well, my soul's important to me. And I've told my kids, your soul's real important. I get you in a five-minute conversation, I'll mark you, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. You're going to talk about what you're thinking about. And what passages shared is critical. You've got to guard what you think about. Guard your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Don't think stupid thoughts. Cast down imaginations and every high thing that exhausts itself against the knowledge of God. Because as a man thinks, so is he. Quit thinking stupid. You're talking stupid because you're thinking stupid. You're acting stupid because you're thinking stupid. I found the problem. It's your thinking. Now, what are you thinking about? Evidently not this, because this brings life. Third John 2, if you said so this, you'll prosper being health as your soul prospers. My prosperity, my bank account's tied to my soul. Oh, that's good. Joshua 1.8, same thing. God told Joshua, if you'll meditate in my word day and night, then you'll prosper and have good success. When? Think about this. Psalms 1, 1 through 3 says the same thing. You know, you'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Your leaf won't wither. You'll not cast forth your fruit before the season. When? When you meditate in this, then you'll prosper and have good success. 
So throughout the Word, what you think is about critical. That's why there's a local church. What are we doing? We're teaching and training. Because we're all born a doofus. You come out a doofus. I don't care how cute you are, you're a doofus. You don't know anything. You can't do anything. You can't talk, walk. You can't clean yourself, feed yourself, dress yourself. You're a doofus. You become what somebody taught and trained you to do. Now look at the news. The good, the bad, the ugly. All the horror stuff that's happened in the last few weeks. Man, people have been shot and killed. Well, who did that? Somebody that thought that way. Why? Because somebody trained them that way. They hung out with people like that. Watch who you hang out with. You become like who your friends are. Ooh, that's good. See, the Bible's full of how to live. The thing is, you've got to go after it. You're going to have to get aggressive. God said, I set before you life, death, blessing, cursing. You choose. So you're going to become what you pray, you know. God already sees the end of my life, and it's real stinking good. I don't want to get to heaven and God showed me all the stuff I could have done. Yeah, you could have had this. What? Well, you could have had this. No, I couldn't. The economy was bad. Unemployment was high. Man laws are crazy. My neighbors are nuts. My boss is an idiot. The dog went bad. Refrigerator door wouldn't stay shut. Transmission was leaking. He's going to say, well, I gave you all things pertaining to life and godliness. You just never appropriated any of them. So that's not good. And then number three, mm, most of us don't get what we want because we don't want anything. Now, this was a shock when I started doing the vision thing with my kids. I taught last time I was here when I started putting that vision of six things, who, what, where, how, why, when. I realized, what do, you, what do you see yourself doing five years from now? Most of them didn't see anything. And I said, dear God, that means you're going to be living with me five years from now. That's not good. <laughs> We need to plan a vision. So anyhow, we're going to cover that tonight. Now, I'm going to read some scriptures here too, kind of starting off, kind of set this up this morning. Because I realize the greatest need really in, in is, goes back to this, the teaching and the training thing. You are what you think about, what you read, what you feed on, what you meditate on. So guard yourself. That's why the local church, I say it every time, is the only thing living on this planet. Everything outside the local church is dying. This is where life is. Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's why you come to hear the word of God, what Pastor bragged on you, fellowship with one another. You know, you need to hang out with other people because we're all different. I need you and you need me. I don't have everything. you got some of the stuff I need. Your wisdom, your encouragement, your correction, all of that we need. You, as iron strikes iron, so the countenance of a friend. Now, I want to read Jeremiah chapter 17. Most of this is from the New Living Translation. Jeremiah 17, verse 7 through 8. It says, blessed are the men, or the man, I like this because the men up here. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. And I want my daughters to marry a man just like that. Where's your hope? Where's your trust? God, good. I don't care how good looking you are. If you're not trusting God, ugly is coming. For the person who trusts God and has hope in God, he shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes. Ooh, have mercy. But his leaf will be green. Now, I know you know this, but Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all lived during a time of drought. Now, we're in Oklahoma, and it's dryer as all get out. Everything's crinkled. I got more leaves in my yard than I do in October. Trees are dead everywhere. The leaves are falling down. But I always got to thinking, I was telling the kids the other day, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all lived during a time of drought, yet ended up filthy, stinking rich. When everybody else was gripping, complaining, bemoaning, and cussing, and going without, those guys were blessed and highly favored. Cattle increased, sheep increased, money increased, employees increased. Drought didn't seem to bother them. Why? They belonged to God, and they were trusting God. Their hope was in God. I don't care what the economy says. I don't care what the stock market says. I don't belong to this world. I belong to another kingdom. I might be in this world. I'm not of this world. You've got to get it into deep because the world needs us. It's not just so we survive. We need to reach a lost and dying world with hope they don't have. That's our, that's our mission. What are you doing? We're reaching them, man. We're excited. we got a full-time job. Going to go get them. But if you start pulling back, not only will you not go get anybody, you'll think somebody's come help you. I ain't going to help me. Well, I'll go sow some seed. Pastor mentioned even about giving. You, when you need something, go give it away. Well, I don't have anything. Well, go give something. Volunteer some time. Now, we've learned this the hard way in our life. When you need something, what are you going to do? Well, my God, because you sit here long enough, it'll get worse. And if you're in money trouble this morning, it'll get worse. It won't get better. The devil, he'll invite demons from hell, and they'll come dance on your head. You've got to start getting aggressive and start storming the gates of hell. Oh, that was good. Said, you will not be anxious in the year of drought. Whew, have mercy. 
nor will you cease from yielding fruit. When will I not cease from yielding fruit? When it's bad, when the economy's bad, I'll still bear fruit. God promised that. Oh, my goodness. Philippians 4, 6, be not anxious for nothing. What is it? Don't worry. In everything, what do you say instead of do instead of being anxious? But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. In other words, I don't care what the economy's doing. You can sleep good. What is it? God supplies all my needs. I got a shield of divine favor. God opens doors for me, no man can shut, shuts doors, no man can open. Orders my steps, directs my past. Talks to me when I go to sleep, when I get up. You got to get it where you don't have to read it. It just rolls out of your mouth. You got to get a sword of the spirit so you slap the devil back off you because he, he'll cheat. He'll come at you. Now, what is it? Well, I'm not anxious. You ever hear a bad report? Shoot you out. I got bad reports. My father-in-law about died three weeks ago. My wife had just got home. I've been there for three weeks. Been home for just 24 hours. I'd flown in to take care of my mom and some stuff, and I got a call. My father-in-law had failed, and they think he's dying. We got to get to him before he dies. And I called my wife and said, I got to get in there. I said, well, get you a plane ticket. Just shut up. I'll get to the hospital and pray for him real quick. We can't let him die now. So I go over and pray for him real quick because family members are panicking. People are crying. I've been, I'm on a tractor mowing grass. Just had started mowing. Just started mowing. Just started. Sounds real fleshy, doesn't it? Like, my God, I can't mow the grass. Father-in-law's dying. You can laugh, I'm very serious, is what I thought like, of all the times to die. I just got here. You've been around for 96 years, you picked now to die? Dear God. Oh, you may laugh, I'm very serious, is what I thought. So I called the office, said, somebody find mom a plane ticket. We've got to get her in here. I, she can't be in there out there for daddy's dying. Get her in here. Well, where? I don't know where, just find something. So they found her ticket and got her to Dallas, and bad storms came through, and she got stuck, and she couldn't get out of Dallas, and couldn't find a hotel. They're all filled up. I got to call again. Get her a hotel. She can't stay there and sleep in that airport. Get her. My wife's crying. My daddy's dying. She's stuck in the air. It's like when hell comes, it brings friends. One bad thing never happens. One good thing might happen. Hey, that tells a good thing happened the other day. It'll be one good thing. But everybody talks about hell. Talking about, Man, my God, can I tell you what happened to me lately? My God, 27 bad things in a row. Boom, 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 boom. Well, that's Beelzebub. He's called the Lord of the Flies. He never comes by himself. He brings friends. What's he trying to do? He's trying to find a weak spot and knock you down so you won't get up. Boom, 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 boom. What it is, get back up. One of the most powerful things you'll ever do is what these men did this morning. Praise is the most powerful thing you'll ever do. God inhabits praise. If hell's dancing on you, get your armpits open. These <laughs> alligators on your armpits, get them up. My God, that's good. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Now, what are we doing? Well, we're trying to cast our care on God. Why? Well, because it's bad. We're trying to roll our worries over. Why? Because it's bad. It's always going to be bad. People are waiting for things to get better. I was just uh, doing a seminar in Okmulgee, Oklahoma. I love Okmulgee. Uh, it's the place, it's the, the uh, head campus of the Creek Nation, all the Creek Indians. When they got kicked out of Tennessee and Georgia, they sent them out there where that's where their headquarters are. And they got their big capital there and got their own police and their own government. And so I spoke at the Pentecostal, the international Pentecostal Holiness Church, Creek Indians. Pastors of Creek Indians. But there's some. These are entrepreneurs. These are not, that's not these kind of Indians. These boys own businesses. These are that's a bunch of folks. A bunch of them just got back from India. Some just got back from China. Some of them just got back from Haiti. They're not sitting around feeling sorry for themselves sitting in the TP. They got filled with the Holy Ghost. They're going to change the world. We're going on trips. going to help somebody. My God, I love that. And so we're down there doing this marriage seminar. And I finished up at noon yesterday. And it's like, it's just incredible to meet people and what they're going through. Everybody had some kind of story, man. God's done. And I was almost going back to the full gospel businessmen's meeting. They're talking about what they've overcome, what they came through, what they came out of, how God saved them, saved their family, saved their grandmother before she died. I mean, just going through all kinds of testimony. I said, my God, there's a God, and he's moving everywhere, even in Okmulgee, Oklahoma. It is an exciting time to be alive. You're either excited or you're scared. There's no middle ground. There is no more middle ground. You're either excited or you're scared. Might as well get excited. Now I'm going to read this to you. I like this right here. Uh, this is um, what I call the end result. Now I've got, this is a two-hour seminar. I'm just going to give you five of them right here. Abraham, Genesis, 20, Genesis uh, 25, verse 7. Now what I did one time is I like to go back to Revelation. You read the end first. Where are you going? Here. Then I, then I understand what I'm doing here. Where are you going? Here. 
That's why I got that. That's why Proverbs 29, where there's no vision, the people perish. Where are you going? I don't know. Then you're, you're really messed up right now. You're mad at everybody. You're mad at the government, the president, the Congress, the Senate. You're mad at your governor. You're mad at your boss. When you're mad, it's because you're not moving. People who are moving don't have time to get mad. They're too busy. It's quiet in here. It'll mark you. It'll mark you. If, you. if you're not going anywhere, you're mad. Because you got time. If you're real busy, would you? Well, I'd like to gripe, but I don't have time. I'm too busy. I got stuff to do. You've got to get a vision and start moving somewhere. So I was thinking of reading about this, and I told the kids, so I'm going to read the end. So Abraham says, Abraham lived for 175 years. Well, kumbaya. I bet he stretched Social Security forever. Died at a ripe old age, having lived a long, satisfying life. Now, how'd you like to put that on your tombstone? Who is this? I don't know, but they lived a long, satisfying life. Now, you know he went through stuff, tried to give his wife away twice, man, drought hit. You know, there's all kind of, there's a whole book about what all he went through. But the summation, God said, was he lived a long, satisfying life. I've told my kids, the goal is to live a long, satisfying life. That's the goal. You understand it? That is the goal. Number two, I like this. This is David, King David, 1 Chronicles 29, 28. King David died at a ripe old age, having enjoyed a long life, wealth, and honor. The exception being his time with Bathsheba. He went stupid once. Really dumb stupid. But he recovered. But the overall, and this is God saying this, he lived a long, wealthy, and honorable life. He enjoyed his life. You enjoy your life? I got family members. I'm dealing with family members right now. Chad, they like, every time they come, you know what happened to me when I've been through, you know what I've been through, what happened to me. No, I really don't want to know. I can read the paper. <laughs> Genesis 35, 28, Isaac lived for 180 years. Have mercy. You think everyone wanted to go home? My oh, God, I'm 160. Let's get out of here. I don't know. I'm going to stick around as long as I can. Then he breathed his last breath. He died at a ripe old age, having lived a long and satisfying life. Well, I like that. These people lived long, satisfying lives. They overcame stuff. They had trouble. They had tests and trials, but they lived a long, satisfying life. The goal is, what are you trying to do? Because if you don't get focused on the end, you're going to grip your way to glory. And then you're going to be eating a chicken leg at a card table. You won't be eating at the marriage supper. Job chapter, I'm going somewhere, Job chapter 42, verse 10. I love the book of Job. It's an incredible book. It's just, you got to you finish it, though. You'll, you'll go to sleep depressed. Don't start it if you're not going to finish it. So 42 chapters, go to the finish line. This is the end, verse 10. When Job prayed for his friends, what did he do? Well, he's got balls, broke as dirt, kids are dead, and hell stomped on him. What do you do when hell's stomping on you? Well, I go help somebody, but I can't even walk. I've got balls on the bottom of my feet and the back of my legs. I go give somebody something, but I'm broke as dirt. I've gone bankrupt. I get my kids to help it, but they're all dead. I wouldn't let my wife come, but she's cursed me and trying to get me to curse God and die. Let's see, what can I do? Well, I can pray for you. <laughs> and that's what he did. It's the only thing he could do. Guys are telling him he's messed up and how he's sinned and blaming him. Like, you know, you know, all this bad stuff. And I've got fam- I, I still family members, bless the heart. Every time you go through something bad, I say, well, that's the judgment of God on you. What? When my baby was dying of spinal meningitis, I had one made that statement. Well, have you sinned? What? I don't think I've had time to, but I might have. I don't know. I do pray that Davidic prayer, Lord, search my heart and see if there be any wicked way. If this, leave me out in the way everlasting. Don't let me sin and not know it. I, I pray that a lot. I forgive and repent every day. Now, we laugh about it. I make this statement. Don't get spiritually constipated where God can't move through you because, you know, you won't repent or you won't forgive. And I do it every day. I do it. Some days that I've got something specific on my mind, some days I don't think I've done anything, but I'm repenting anyhow. God forgive me. If I've done something stupid, forgive me. Don't let me go stupid not knowing. And so they thought judgment had come on me. I remember when I got laid off one time, I had my last check. It was my severance check. And Denise, I put it in the offering. Uh, oh, dear Lord. North Chattanooga Church of God, Sunday night service. Service is horrible. Worst sermon I ever heard. <laughs> Maybe it's because the attitude doesn't. I've just been laid off. Like, I got my severance check. Well, it won't last six weeks. We won't last six weeks. And they said, well, put it in the offering. We're barely going to last six weeks. Well, then you might as well stick it in the bucket. Just, we're going to starve, starve now. Let God do something. Put it in the bucket. 
Now, I'm not making this up. We fought on the back row because I got there late because I just got laid off. I'm like, my God, how are we going to pay our rent? How are we going to make the track payment? What she said, put that in the bucket. And I turned that thing over. Now, it was on, back then it was huge, but back then it was $1,145. But that was huge. That was like 11000 That was huge. Like, so I'm right there, just signed it, endorsed it to the church, put it in the bucket. My dear God, my daddy's right. I am in a cult. Just gave away my last paycheck. Well, because I gave the paycheck away, I had to do something. I thought, my God, so I've got to go talk to my landlady the next morning. I got a little $55 rent house, the house, but it's nice. We fixed it up real nice. It's real nice. I said, ma'am, I don't have rent for next month. Is there anything I can do? You need any work done? I can paint because she owned a bunch of rent houses. Well, she gave me two houses to paint. Well, that kept me busy for two weeks. Then she wanted a carport built. I never built one. It took me two weeks to build that carport. It should have taken two days. It was, it was a slow project because I had to tear it down twice. It, it, it didn't go good. But I got paid for that. And the next thing you know, six weeks later, I got a call from a former engineer I'm working for and hired me in Saxon, Missouri for Triangle Wire and Cable as an engineer. Now I only had one year of college. Went to the University of Tennessee one year, and they wrote me a letter saying I can never come back for legal reasons. I still don't share, but I wasn't allowed back in the University of Tennessee for things that I did I shouldn't have done. And so, so he said, I, I said, I'll hire you an engineer. I said, I can't be an engineer. I'm not even finished my degree. He said, don't worry, I'm going to send you to night school. You come out here and work for us because you know the business. So I'm working with another engineer who's got his degree from the University of St. Louis. I don't have a degree. I got one year of college and got kicked out. But he hired me as an engineer, and that check I put in came back 100-fold. Well, what if I hadn't put that check in? God's not mocked. You understand? You do something, God's looking, he's writing it down. Sow some seed. you got to get ready to physically, mentally, spiritually, finance, sow some seed. This planet works by seed time and harvest. Be nice to you. You want your wife to kiss you? Be nice to her. You ignorant woman. That's not going to make her pucker up. <laughs> Just like your mother. Dear God, she's not pucking up over that either. I guarantee. <laughs> Be slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to wrath. That's another seminar. And here's what it said. Job. Job prayed for his friends. Job prayed for his friends. That's all he could do. He's broke and sick and boils. And the Lord restored his fortune. When? Right after he prayed for his friends. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as he had before. The Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life more than in the beginning. He gave Job seven more sons and three more daughters. Of his daughters, there were no women as lovely in all the land as the daughters of Job. He just gave them women. He gave them good-looking women. Job lived to see four generations of his children and grandchildren and died at a ripe old age, having lived a long, full, satisfying life. I don't care what kind of hell stomped on you. You're going to lay there? The most powerful thing I have ever seen lately in church is what I saw this morning. When men come to worship, it's like, what are you? I'm a bold man. I'm going before a big God. I'm not a wimpy man hiding back here trying to prove I'm somebody. I'm nobody excepting God. But God's got me. You don't want to mess with God. Shonda. Anyhow, look at this. Luke 2.52. I'll give you this. This is where I want to go with this. Luke 2.52. Now, this is where we're going. Told the kids, your life's going to end up real good. That's God's plan for you. You live a long, satisfying life. You know, a long life will I satisfy you, show you my salvation. Uh, the fear of God, Psalm 34, 11, is the beginning of wisdom. With that wisdom comes long life, riches, and honor. How do you get long life, riches, and honor? You fear God. Everything starts with God. So I tell them, kids, you need to start with God. Now, I've always told them, you've heard me teach for years, the goal in life is not to work for somebody, it's to hire somebody. It really is. You want to put your name on a building eventually. And everybody's, well, everybody's gifted different. I know that. But according to God, we'll be the head, not the tail, above and not beneath. Everything we touch a prophecy. He either made that up and goofy one day or he told the truth. Well, if that's the truth, we've got to start living that. Now, I don't have perfect kids. Nobody does because they don't have perfect parents. But I got good ones. And I was just sharing it with mother. I said, you know, my kids have always told me you need more than one job. You need to, you need to build stuff. You know, the goal is to eventually build stuff. Now, my oldest daughter, Sarah, just finishing up her doctorate, just got hired at Northeastern State University as a professor. My daughter is a college professor. I thought, I just want you to lay hands on me and pray for me. That's incredible. You flunked algebra twice in high school. <laughs> I didn't think you'd even get in college. <laughs> well, Matthew, she's not a professor of math. She's a professor of reading and communication. So, thank God. Good with words, bad with numbers. So, but not only is she a college professor, but she teaches two nights a week at the local junior college, and she teaches one day a week at a local Christian school counseling the kids that don't read well. She's got three checks coming in. Bless your heart. I'm doing fine. I work a lot. 
Well, you don't work, you don't eat. I'm doing great. Jessica, my second daughter, just got married two months ago. Her husband's got two jobs. He works as a teacher. He's a department head. But he also has a business on the side where he's got 10 guys that wash windows. He's got almost 800 customers. He's making almost as much money on his side job as his main job. He was helping somebody about three weeks ago or one of his jobs on a Saturday, and he fell off a ladder, and the razor blade that you cleaned the windows went flipping through the air, and when he landed, he landed on that razor blade, and it, it severed the tendon to his thumb. So the thumb don't work. It just sits there. You move these things. Why did it move? Well, it's disconnected. I cut it, and it's just flopping, and that muscle just <laughs> shrunk all the way back up under his armpit up here. What do I got to do? So, well, I don't know. You know I've got to wrap it up and get about 28 stitches and we're going to have to connect that thing. And so they wrapped it up so we could schedule for surgery. And this happened on a Monday or Saturday. We're going to schedule for surgery on Wednesday. You, you know what he did Monday? He went back to work. He just wrapped it up and he's back there cleaning windows with his left hand because he was off the summer. He wasn't teaching that. What's he doing? Where's your husband at? He's cleaning windows. Cleaning windows? Yeah. I thought he cut his thumb off almost. Yeah, he's not using that one. He's using the other one. <laughs> I went over and hugged him and wrote him a check. I love you. You got any brothers? <laughs> I serious, I did say that. So anyhow, he finally got searching. They sewed it back together, and now his thumb's working a little better, and he's having to squeeze some stuff and get that thing going. My daughter just started a corporation. She's got her main job as an accountant. She's got a corporation called Simplify, where she goes down and does seminars for people down at the YWCA who have been laid off or been abused, abused wives whose husbands have left them. And she's not just, you know, there's no saying, don't give me a fish, teach me how to fish. Don't give me a fish. So she, she's created a corporation, a nonprofit corporation that teaches people how to get their finances together, how to get a job, how to do an interview. She's got the whole thing put together. It's her curriculum coming out. So she's got two channels of income. My third daughter works for me, runs my ministry pretty much, but she also has her own publishing company. So we got our first six mini books coming out here this summer. My fourth daughter, uh, <laughs> Lauren, she's, she's tough. She's opinionated, and she believes stuff so deep it scares me sometimes. You know, she's going to design school in Franklin, but right now she's working two jobs in Tulsa. She works for me part-time, two hours a day, does all of our shipping stuff for us, but she works for a car dealership uh, just organizing files for them. And uh, um, she, she's got two channels of income plus going to college. Uh, my fifth daughter just quit her second job, got one job in Nashville, North Carolina, going back to school, get her master's degree. And my son, who's going to college, works at the Quick Trip four days a week, has his cleaning business two days a week outside of that, and then he's going to college at night. It's like, now the reason I'm telling you this is this. I used to pound on them. Don't you ever thumb suck about the economy. I grew up poor. Poor, poor. Stinking government, stinking Republican, stinking president, stinking everything. And we grew up cussing everything that wasn't the problem. We were the problem. We were the problem. You'll always, the devil always give you somebody to point your finger at. Nobody else is the problem except you. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob during the time of drought were blessed. They weren't blaming the weather. They weren't blaming God. They weren't blaming the Philistines. They, were, they took responsibility. So I used to tell my kids, and I'd read the book called The Jewish Phenomenon. I said, you know, Jewish people are filthy, stinking rich. Everybody knows that. No, that's why nobody likes Jewish people. Because they're so wealthy. I said, but they make up 2% of the population in the United States, but they account for one-third of all multimillionaires. You know why? Because they all have at least three jobs. You ever meet a Jewish person? Ask them what they do for a living. If you ever meet a Jewish person, ask them what they do. I promise they got more than one channel of income. Why? Because they grew up abused and poor. <laughs> you know, if you grew up abused and poor, you'll go do something. My pastor's Willie George, Gospel Bill. Got the largest children's ministry in the country. We had the largest youth group in the United States. Uh, we got the largest children's camp in the Midwest. He's known for children. But he grew up abused. His father was a whoremonger. His mother was crazy, an alcoholic, tried to commit suicide three times, tried to kill her and the boys. Twice tried to turn the gas on and kill both the boys. He grew up in a crazy home. Well, what does he do today? He ministers to kids. Why? I didn't have a childhood. What happened to your childhood? Well, my daddy ran off with another woman. My mama went crazy, got drunk, tried to, tried to kill us three different times, lived in government housing. You know, I never had decent shoes or clothes to wear. But my uncle took me in, got me filled with the Spirit, and got me in the Word of God, and I realized something. There's something better than what I've been living. He didn't spend his life blaming his dad and his mom. He went and not only got good, he made a ministry out of it. A nationwide, thousands of kids have got saved under his ministry. Why? I didn't have a childhood. Whatever the devil stole from you in your childhood, God will make him pay back seven times, good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running. God is a redeeming God. So don't spend your life in, oh, with your head over your, well, if it hadn't been for my daddy, if it hadn't been for mommy, if it hadn't been for my coach, if it hadn't been for my teacher, I'd have been somebody. You are somebody in Christ. Go possess it. Just because the devil's used people trying to stop you, shut up and get back up. 
Oh, that's good. Don't say shut up in church. I've already got a nasty letter about that one time. <laughs> From here. Praise God. <laughs> so I repent. I shouldn't have said it. It's just a good word. Anyhow, let me read this because we're talking about kids, and then we'll pick this up now. This is what I believe. I'm going to give you the scriptures in Luke 2.52. I realize with all this in mind, my job is to train my kids up. Children are a gift from God, Psalms 127, 128. My children are a gift from God. I thought it's just because mom and I were kissing and the baby popped out, but they're a gift from God. It's like, dear Lord, you're kidding. That's a gift? Man, they're tearing everything up. Costing me money. Shooting the corners off the end table. Not flushing stuff they shouldn't, flushing stuff they shouldn't. Is that your idea of being good? You've got a weird sense of humor. No, children are a gift from God. They are a reward from Him. <laughs> oh, my God, I must have been incredibly good. I got six kids. <laughs> Woo! No, the whole idea is God gives them to you. You train them and give them back to God. They spend the rest of their life serving God. And then they reproduce themselves. That's the whole goal. Now, I read this right here. This is in our parenting, but I like this. There's three things that affect a kid. Number one is the home. I like this quote. This is Abraham Lincoln. This is what he said. He said, a child is a person who's going to carry on what you have started. He's going to sit where you are sitting, and when you are gone, he will attend to those things which you think are important. Ooh, have mercy. You may adopt all the policies you please, but how they are carried out will depend on him. He's going to assume control of your cities, your states, and your nation. He's going to move in and take over your churches, your schools, your universities, and your corporations. The fate of humanity is in his hands. Thus, Chick-fil-A. Who is that? Somebody's kid. Well, who taught you? Nobody. You're supposed to teach them the deep doctrines of God as soon as they're weaned from their mother's breast. Train up a child in the way he should go when he's old and not depart from it. Teach your child Deuteronomy 6 when you get up, walk by the way, sit down, and lie down. When they're born, we're supposed to teach and train them so they can serve God and be a blessing to somebody. If we don't teach and train them, they'll be a curse everywhere they go, and they'll thumb suck everywhere they go, and they'll suck the air out of everywhere they go, and they'll take the money from everywhere they go. They don't want to be a blessing. They don't know that they are already blessed. They're looking for what they already possess. Jesus Christ already died for you and gave him your life. You are the head, not the tail already. All your needs are already supplied. You're surrounded with divine favor. With long life, God's, you're looking for something that already belongs to you, but the devil's blinded you, and you don't know that. Thus, the local church. What are you doing? We're reaching a lost and dying people that don't know they're already blessed. Your salvation's really already been paid for. You just need to receive it. Your name's already in the Lamb's Book of Life. Jesus' blood's already been shed for you. You're not trying to earn it or begging for it. God loves you already. God loved your thumb-sucking self before you were ever born. But you need to receive it. And that's what we do. We're trying to get them to receive what God's already done. It's a done deal. God's already been good to you. Already loves you. You don't earn it. You have to crawl on your face, suck rug, light a candle, hum a hymn, or shave your head. God loves you just like you are. That took the pressure off. This is a school. I love this. Martin Luther. I guess I used to have this memorized. I love this. Martin Luther, 400 years ago, wrote this. He said, I am much afraid that the public schools, which they had just created in Prussia, will prove to be the great gates of hell unless they diligently labor in explaining the Holy Scriptures, engraving them upon the hearts of the youth. I advise no one to place their child where the Scriptures do not reign paramount. Every institution which is, in which men are not increasingly occupied with the Word of God will and must become corrupt. The Word of God is the only thing that's going to save anybody. Christ, and that's the hope of glory. Truth. This, isn't, this is a person. This is Jesus. Who is he? Real good. He's God. He loves me. Died for me. Prays for me every day. Has angels camp around about me, keep me from the evils in the world. Talks to me when I go to sleep. This is God. He's just real stinking good. But if you don't know that, you're mad at God. People who don't love God curse God and use his name in vain. People who don't love God curse God and use his name in vain. There's only two camps. Which one are you in? which ought to motivate us to go reach the ones that are lost because somebody reached us. We were born lost. Somebody reached us. Oh, my goodness. Then I like this. This is a school. <laughs> John Gatto, he's an interesting man. He was the teacher of the year in the United States, twice teacher of the year in the state of New York. He wrote this. He said, school trains children to obey reflexively. He said, I recommend you teach your own children to think critically and independently. Oh, my, that's just scary to even think about that. I want my kids to think critically and independent. What does that mean? I want you to have an opinion. I don't want you to follow everybody because they're going, hey, you want to go with us? Sure, I got nothing going on. Hey, you want to go? Sure, I got nothing going on. Hey, you want to go? Sure, I got nothing going on. I got no vision in my life. Let me follow you. I almost got killed one night <laughs> when I was in high school. Some drummer from Three Dog Night has showed up to a local house in Chattanooga. I don't even like Three Dog Night. 
and you've got to be old to even know who they are. They were famous. Somebody said, hey, you want to go here to see the drummer from Three Dog Night? Sure, I don't care. i got nothing going on. So I went, and sure enough, there he was. And so was none of my regular guys are there. These are guys I really didn't hang with in high school. They're the ones that are there. And, so, and there he was, and he was greasy and dirty and ugly, and I think he's half drunk. So it wasn't real impressive. But I'm hanging out with guys I shouldn't be with and say, hey, you want to go with us? Sure, i got nothing going on. Where are you going? Well, we're going to Suck Creek Mountain in North Alabama. Suck Creek Mountain. It's a real name. It's a real mountain. It's on the map. We're going to Suck Creek Mountain. Shouldn't go to a place called Suck Creek Mountain. It's not good. <laughs> Why are we going there? Because they're going to sell beer to you. They'll sell beer to you if you're 12 years old. If you've got money, they'll sell, sell you a beer. Well, I don't drink beer. I don't like beer. To me, it's like horse urine. I don't like beer. <laughs> Just a thought. And so I'm getting in a car with guys I don't know, going to Suck Creek Mountain to buy something I don't drink. Now, the devil, he'll get you leaning. If he gets you leaning, he'll press in with friends. So all of a sudden, we're going up Sut Creek Mountain. Sut Creek Mountain is just a winding road right up the mountain, north, mountains of North Alabama. There's no guardrails. It's after midnight. We're in an old Oldsmobile tornado. The guy's trying to play like he's in the Indy 500, just seeing how fast he can take those curves. Dirt road, no guardrail. <laughs> and I'm sitting in the back seat. Now, they've already handed me a beer because they had some already. We're going to get more. So I got a beer in my hand. Now, I'm not drinking it. I'm acting like I'm drinking it, but I'm not drinking because I don't like the taste of beer. But I'm acting like I'm a real man. Got me a beer. <laughs> and we're playing the Indy 500. And it's like, we're, we're going to fly off this mountain. He's going to run off this mountain. We're going to plunge hundreds of feet to the valley and burst into flames. And I saw it. I saw it. I was sitting in the back seat. And of course, they're yelling and hollering, got loud music. You know, and, and I'm just back. We're going to die. And I saw myself in a casket. Hickson First Baptist Church. I can see the casket. There I am. My mama down in the front row, places packed. There's Pastor Aiken, great pastor. Loved him. And he's doing my funeral. Well, Joe Allen's here, and you know, you know, and he's talking about me and my family and what a great kid I was. But how I died last Saturday night, plunging off Suck Creek Mountain, drunk with beer in my lap. And as he said that, I saw, now this happened in a moment of time, but as he said that, my daddy got up the front row and walked over to the casket and drugged me out and beat me to death again. Now, you can laugh. I'm very serious. I'm not making this up. I saw that. My daddy beat my dead body right there in front of the Hicks First Baptist Church for dying drunk. And so I'm trying to get, I got to get out of here. I got to get out. And so I got sobriety. Hit like, I got to get out of here. And I don't know any prayers. I'm thinking of prayers. And I can't think of nothing but Easter songs. Up from the grave he rose. And I'm thinking of Christmas songs. Silent night. No, I need some, I need a prayer. I can't think of a prayer. I don't know any prayers. And finally, I remember the, the pastor just taught about Peter sinking in the water. And he prayed one short prayer. Help. So, so I'm sitting in the back and acting like I'm bad. I'm, help, Lord. I'm praying it to myself. Help, Lord. Help, Lord. Help, Lord. Help, Lord. I don't know any other, but help, Lord. Help, Lord. Oh, God, help, Lord. Help, Lord. And all of a sudden, the guy who's driving got sick because he'd been going around the curve so fast. He got beer on his belly. He had to stop and puke. <laughs> I got out. I walked home. <laughs> I have walked down Suck Creek Mountain in the middle of the night. Nothing can scare me. I've been to hell and seen it. Smelled it. I got in my bed at 530 in the morning, and I prayed, oh, God. I, I didn't know what kind of person. God, forgive me. I'll never sin again as long as I live. I will serve you till Jesus comes. I'll be a missionary to China if you need me to. And I didn't. I sinned again within a week. And, but but, but I was, my intentions were good. Wow, I didn't know any scripture. There was no word to keep me. I wanted to do right, but I couldn't. I wanted, that's why God says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Oh, they acknowledge me. They believe I'm their Savior and died for them. But they're destroyed for lack of, they have no weapon. The only weapon I own is the Word of God in my heart coming out of my mouth. I got nothing to speak against the devil. And so all of a sudden you get me pretty soon. Thank God. Thank God. That spirit-filled method has got me back in the church and in the Word of God. And I, I'm telling you, when you find the Word of God, you realize, oh, my goodness, God, I didn't know you were that good. So anyhow, John Gatto said this. He said, children train schools to obey reflexively, to think critically and, and, and independently. Well-schooled kids, watch this now, have a low threshold for boredom. Mm, I'm bored. I want to do this. Shut your face up. He said, help your own children develop an inner life so they'll never be bored. Urge them to take on serious material like grown-up material in history, literature, philosophy, music, art, economics, theology, all the stuff that school teachers know well enough to avoid. Oh, my goodness. Challenge your kids with plenty of solitude so they can learn to enjoy their own company. 
and conduct inner dialogues. You ever talk to yourself? You know, sometimes talking to yourself is better than talking out loud. You ever talked out loud and you thought, oh, that was stupid. I shouldn't have said that. Maybe you should have practiced by yourself first before you said it to a human. <laughs> that's deep, isn't it? Oh, that's so good. Well-schooled children are conditioned to dread being alone. They seek constant companionship through the TV, the computer, the cell phone, through shallow friendships quickly acquired and quickly abandoned. Your children should have a more meaningful life, and they can. So unfortunately, education serves children sometimes only incidentally. Its real purpose is to turn them into servants. Oh, my goodness. Don't let your children have their childhoods extended for a single day. If David Farragut could take command of a captured British warship as a 12-year-old, if Thomas Edison could publish a newspaper as a 12-year-old, if Benjamin Franklin could apprentice himself to a printer as a 12-year-old and put himself through a course of study that would choke a Yale senior today, there's no telling what your own children can do. He said, after a long life and 30 years in education, I have conducted that genius is as common as dirt. We suppress our genius only because we have not yet figured out how to manage the population of educated men and women. The solution, I think, is simple and glorious. Let them learn to manage themselves. We're trying to do too much sometimes for our kids instead of getting them to do it. So here it is, Luke 2.52. Jesus grew up as a kid. And I've always used this as a pattern. Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God, and favor with man. Luke 2.52. How did he grow up? Wisdom, stature, favor of God. Now, you know the story. Jesus came from heaven. He is the second member of the Godhead, laid down his glory in heaven, came on and took the body of a man, came to here as a human. A human lost everything. A human had to get it back. God had to come as a human to do it legally. Well, he had to grow up like a human. Now, he, who is he? Well, he's God. Is he? Uh-huh. But he didn't do anything as God. He did it as a human. If he did anything as God, he cheated. Everything he did, he did as a man. A man lost it. A man had to get it back. That's why he had to be born of a virgin. The whole Bible story. But here's the deal. If he grew in wisdom, then my children need to grow in wisdom. Now, look at my six kids. You need to be wise. Proverbs 1 says there's four kinds of kids, wise, simple, foolish, and scornful. Well, you know, you don't want to be those other three. Bad things happen. The simple believe every word they hear. They're very gullible. They're not evil, but they believe everything they hear is the gospel truth. Why? They have no wisdom to filter out. There's no word to filter out what's true. So everybody just goes, is that true? I didn't know that. Well, no, it's not true. You need to know what the Bible says. That's not true. So I want my children to be wise. Well, how do you get wise? Well, the Bible says, James, if you lack wisdom, ask God, James 1, 5, he'll give it to you liberally and upbraideth not. The Bible says in Psalm 34, 11, then Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of God's the beginning of wisdom. So the greatest thing you'll ever pray over your kids, Father, I give you permission to teach my children to fear you. Why? That is the beginning of wisdom. What will that wisdom get you? Proverbs 3, 3, 16, long life, riches, and honor. Now, guys, this is real simple. I know I'm talking kind of fast. Listen to me. Greatest prayer you'll ever pray over your kids, Father, I give you permission. I don't care if your kids are 55. I give you permission to teach Billy Bob the fear of God. Teach him to fear you, Father. Why? Fear of God's the beginning of wisdom. Right now, he's not being very wise. Give him wisdom. Give him liberal wisdom. So that's the first thing. I want my kids to grow in wisdom. Wise kids live long, and they're blessed, highly favored, and people work for them. Number two, Jesus grew in stature. That means he was self-disciplined. Now, if you read Romans 13, verse 1 through 5, it talks about God set people up in authority. Why? He said, if you do what's right, the authority will praise you. If you do what's wrong, you need to be afraid of the authority. God set up authority because humans have a sin nature. They won't do what's right. You need other people to make you do what's right. Well, Jesus didn't need somebody to make him do what's right. He did what's right because it's right to do what's right. That's what you want. I want my kids to be self-disciplined. I don't want you to do what's right because a teacher's watching or a policeman's watching. I want you to do what's right because it's right to do what's right. God blesses righteousness. So do it. But you can't do what's right if you don't know what's right. That's why you need to know the Word of God. Oh, my goodness. Number one, you need a vision for your life. That's what wisdom is. I know who I am, where I came from, where I'm going. Number two, I need to discipline myself. That's why every time you take communion, what do you do when you take communion? Judge yourself lest you be judged every time you take communion. Now, if you ever come to my office in Tulsa, Oklahoma, we take communion every day at my office. We take communion, we grease every doorpost. I take communion at my house every morning before I leave. It's just a regular deal. Now, years ago, I kind of did it, and then I stopped, and I thought, you know, I'm going to do this every day. I thank God for the broken body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. This ain't a holy moment. I'm reminding myself every day, I belong to God. I've been bought with a price. I'm a child of God. My name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. Jesus shed his blood for me. I'm a blessed man. Let's go be a blessing somewhere. And so I realized something, that self-discipline is this simply do what's right because it's right. It's just right. Number three, Jesus grew in favor with God. Now, I told my kids, you're all gifted different. No two kids are the same. Again, I've shared this. Some of my kids are real smart. Some are just athletic. Some can sing. Some don't. We don't let you sing in church. You don't sing. You can laugh. I'm very serious. My oldest daughter, you may be a college professor, but don't you ever get loud in church. 
You can laugh. I'm sure she couldn't hit a tune if she was staring right at it. There's no way. Bless your heart, babe. Sing, but to yourself. I can hear her right now. I'm listening. Whew. Not good. Anyhow, but she loves music. All are gifted differently. Your gift will make room for you. Do what you've been called and gifted to do. When you get to heaven, God doesn't want to hear what you did. He wants to know, did you do what he called and gifted you to do? Then the fourth thing Jesus grew in, he grew in favor with man. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron strikes iron, so the countenance of a friend. Watch your kids hang around. Teach your kids how to be a good friend. And we're talking just barely about children right now, youth. Number one, your child needs a vision. If they don't have a vision, they're going to cost you. I want you to be excited about leaving home. Um, we were just up in Michigan doing a seminar, and uh, they were having a big bar mitzvah when I was up there, and this kid just turned 13. And, uh, of course, the Jewish child is kind of just an adult. So they had half that big hotel rented out. Of course, they're there that morning. The boy comes that morning. I was leaving for the seminar. I'm doing a weekend seminar. And the rabbi's coming in. Of course, everybody's there dressed up, and people are fisting. But the rabbi takes the boy up to a room. He goes up to the room, and that boy has to quote the first five books of the Old Testament verbatim. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Not read it, quote it. So they're going to spend half a day while he quotes the entire five books of the Old Testament because that's the requirement, the bar, bar, bar mitzvah. Then they come back that night starting at 6.30. They went from 6.30 to 1.30 in the morning, and they're going to have a party. And all the relatives are there. It was wild. Mine catered food, music. They're dancing around. They put that kid in the chair. I'm coming to get something to eat late that night, and they had him in the chair, and they're in that lobby, and they're just dancing around with them, bouncing them up and down. They're giggling and laughing. Everybody's twirling and having a big time. They're celebrating the fact that he just became a man at age 13. At age 13, you're a man. You know, for most people, when you're 13, go get in your room, shut the door, and be quiet. No, Jewish child, you become a man at 13, you become a mature man at age 30. That's why, you know, <laughs> one-third of all Americans, Jewish people are multimillionaires. Why? They're, they were achieving something early. If you go over to, listen, I've been to the NCAA Football Hall of Fame, the NBA Basketball Hall of Fame, the NFL Football Hall of Fame, been to all of them. You don't see any Jewish names. Because when we were playing ball, they were reading books. It's just a thought. Now, I like playing games, but I like reading books, too. And so they realized something. Nobody likes us. We have to own our own business, not work for somebody. And so I just honored how they were honoring everybody. I remember uh, we were doing a seminar up at Harvard University uh, up in Boston. We toured Harvard and went through their library, and it showed how they, uh, Harvard has $38 billion in their endowment fund. Now, Harvard was started to train ministers. That's why it was birthed, to train preachers. Now, they don't do it today, but that's how it started. But somebody got to think, you know, it would be good if we had some money to sustain us, and I have to keep begging for money, so they started an endowment fund. That's when, when people give money to them, they don't spend the money, they spend the interest from the money. Well, they keep a tote board in their library, and they got $38 billion, not million, billion dollars. Billion dollars. So they've got over $4 billion coming in every year, tax, just free, just like, did you have to solicit that, sell something? No, it just comes in. For, our money makes money. We don't make money. Uh, the average tuition in Harvard is 43000 a year, plus books and room and board. They're one of the most expensive universities, but they're not worried about money. The economy may be bad. Harvard's not scared because they got money making money. Well, why am I telling you? Because somebody had a vision. Some people go through life griping every day. I love taking care of my mom right now, but I'm around all my old reels. It is just one testimony from hell every time somebody, hey, how you doing? Let me tell what happened to me. Like, oh, dear God. You know, Revelation says you're overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. Testimony, that's from test. You've been testing, you overcame. Most people aren't overcoming. Why? They're not using the word of God. You got to learn how to overcome. So Jesus grew in favor of God. What did you do? Well, I did what I was called and gifted to do. Well, I want my kids to do what you're calling and gifted to do. And then the last thing said Jesus grew in favor with man. That's friendship. There's more scriptures on friendship than there are on hell. Because you'll become like who you hang around. Go from the presence of a foolish man if you don't perceive in him the lips of knowledge. Why? You're going to become like him. As iron strikes iron, so the countenance of a friend. So I bring this back to my kids. I realize four things I want to make sure I do. And I've really endeavored to do it. I haven't been real successful with some of them, but I keep getting back up and doing it again. I want all to have a vision. If I ever ask you, what do you see yourself doing five years from now? You better spit me out something. Well, Dad, I expect to be doing this. Praise God. That's wonderful. And we laughed when I was here last time because I, I, I was real bad about my kids because of confession growing up in, in a hillbilly kind of a family because they they start griping, I'd agree with them. Now, I think they're going to lay us off. Well, I agree, according to Matthew 18, 19, they'll lay you off in Jesus' name. What? What'd you say? I'm agreeing with you, babe. I want you to get laid off. You're, you're talking it? Let's just get it. I mean, I want what you want. 
Don't say that. Well, you said it. I'm agreeing with you. You're my kid. I love you. I want to agree with you. <laughs> Jessica came. I remember I told you, I told the story, but Jessica didn't get a raise in two and a half years. I'm quitting. I'm quitting. No, no, no. Everyone's going to give me a raise. I agreed. According to Matthew 18, 19, they'll never give you a raise in Jesus' name. As long as you work there, you'll never get a raise. Praise God. Never. In Jesus' name. I agree with it because I love you. I can't tell what all she said. It wasn't good. <laughs> I said, don't you, ever, don't you ever give me verbal negative because I'm going to agree with it immediately. Life and death and the power of the tongue. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the weak sound strong. And the poor say, you've got to say what God says, not what you're looking at. You're blessed and highly favored. Now your race is coming back. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. God said that. Are you going to believe what God said or what the humans are saying to you? You've got to make up your mind. So vision is, I made all of them know, listen, this is what God says about you. You're born again. You go into church. You read your Bible. You're all gifted. This is your gift, what you're called to do. You're all good stewards of your life. If you sin, repent quick, forgive quick, and make sure you're hanging out with people smarter than you. Don't hang out with people like you. Hang out with people smarter than you. You don't grow unless you get around somebody better than you. You ever notice what we do? And unless I'm a guy and I like men, I just had a big uh, uh, retreat thing with my pastor and Pastor Tom Barnett and guys at my church. And men love to brag, you know, coming, even great godly men. First few minutes of that, men tell you where I hunted and I shot this and caught this and I shot that and caught that and I got to shot that and caught that. That's all. I didn't shoot anything. I'm just here. <laughs> Relishing in what you shot. <laughs> Now, I ate what they shot. They, we barbecued it. <laughs> but I've noticed people are always trying to out-mouth, out-brag, and out-talk somebody else. That's not our job. Our job is to go out and serve everybody else. Jesus said, you want to be great in my kingdom, become the servant of all. So I go back and I said, what are you called to do? You know, you got a vision. What are you doing to make it happen? What? Got a five-year plan. What are you doing to make it happen? You know, people, I'm thrilled Sarah became a college professor, but she'd been in night school forever. You know, she'd gripe out every now and then. She said, but I don't have any option. My husband died. I got to go finish this. And plus, I think my husband's going to be at college. We'll go down there and get him, get married, then quit, and come home and have some babies. And that's my five-year plan. She said, okay, I'll do that. I said, good. I go back to the thing, diligence, like, what are you doing? How hard are you working at it? Because where are you going? That thing of, are you sure God told you this? Because this will mess with them. What? Are you sure God told you that? Well, I think he did. Are you sure? I don't know. Well, now we have a problem. If I can cause doubt, the devil's going to do worse than me. What do you think God's told you to do? This. How do you know? Well, I think he did. Well, how do you know? And there's what I do. I said, find me at least three scriptures that the Bible promises that. If it's in the Word, it's God. If it's not, it's not God. So I'll make them quote it. Of course, if you come to my daughter's house and my new daughter's house, they got the scriptures up on the wall. This is what we're called and gifted to do. This is who I am. Wonderful. Now you can go out and you can do something and overcome something. And make sure you're running with people smarter than you. And so my son-in-laws, all of them belong to Toastmasters. And because uh, and, uh, years ago I said, you know, you need to join Toastmasters. What? Toastmasters. What is that? You've got to go give a speech in front of other people smarter than you. Makes you look really stupid. And it does. I've been to Toastmasters. Anybody here ever been to Toastmasters? Raise your hand up. All right. You think. It is just like, why don't we just walk into hell and stand up in front of the devil? Where are you going? I'm going to leaders in our community today, deep dinner with them. What's going to happen? Well, they may call my name today, and I have to give a speech about something I don't know anything about. First time I went, the subject was tennis shoes. They called you up, you know, <laughs> I go with, and they hand you a card. Okay, now they were all eating dinners. These are all leaders in my community, Saxon's there. These are all the business leaders, and I want to be a business leader. So, but what you got to do is make a speech. Uh, okay, Joe, it's your turn today. And so they, you got five guys, they'll do five minutes each. So, oh, dear, that's my turn. Okay, I got to quit eating. Hey, Joe, it's your turn. Yes, it is. And I walk up front, they hand you a card. Your subject today's tennis shoes. Go. My name's Joe McGee, and my subject's tennis shoes, and I have two pair. And uh, one pair I mow the grass with, and uh, one pair I wear when I go out. And uh, uh, one pair's kids, and I don't remember the name of the other pair. And I probably need another pair, but I haven't got any lately. And I really like my tennis shoes. Now, 15 seconds have gone by, and I still got four minutes and 45 seconds to go. <laughs> I won't tell you what else I said. It was just incredibly stupid. Like, and when you get through, it's like, well, just shoot me, Jesus. How stupid was that? Of course, the whole goal of Toastmasters is to let you know you can talk and look stupid and you won't die. You're still alive. You wish you were dead, but you're still alive. My God, I'm still alive. And that's why it's important as a Christian to witness. Well, I don't know what to say. Well, say something. Hey, you going to hell? What? I don't know. I'm just trying to witness to you. I just want to know if you're going to hell. I can help you if you're going to hell. That doesn't go over good. I did that on an airplane one time. If you don't start, you don't get better at it. 
you got to start. you got to start. Now, I want you to stand up. We're going to pray something specific this morning. The Bible says that our seed will be mighty upon this planet. Psalms 112. If we fear God, our seed will be mighty upon this planet. Wealth and riches will be in their house. Many of you, this morning you've got kids that are in trouble financially. I felt that when I walk in. Somebody's got kids that are not doing good financially. Now, what you'll do, if you don't watch out, you'll just start griping with them. Well, my God, how stupid could they have been? They shouldn't have done that. And, uh, I mean, I've had kids do it. I've got adult kids, and I've had to make dumb decisions. And I can do one of two things. Get my pom-poms out from hell and just go ahead and agree with them. Well, it was a dumb thing to do. I'll tell you that right now. You never should have done it. Guys, there is no hope in your past. Don't go to your past. There's nothing there. Stay out of the graveyard. God's mercies are new in the morning, not yesterday. You've got to get the point. Well, praise God. Let's see what we can do about this. What is it now? How bad is it? Well, you know, I think we did this. Well, praise God. Let's just see what we can do. What's our options here? First of all, let's get our options, you know. So we're just going to believe God. We get to believe God every day anyhow, so we're going to believe God. <laughs> no, no, just be quiet now. We're going to believe God, you know. And you try to find a solution. Matthew 5, 9, I teach it in our marriage seminars. Blessed are the problem solvers. They should be called the children of God. You know what we do? We solve problems. I said every time, we saw, what do we do? Well, we help orphans. We help widows. We feed hungry people. We help sick people. We give water to the thirsty. What are you doing? I fix hell. I fix hell. I wake up every day. What are you doing? I'm going to go fix hell. We get to do today. I get to fix hell. I storm the gates of hell every day. What do you do? I storm the gates of hell. What are you looking for? Problems. Most of us run from problems. Well, my God, what is it? Well, dear God, what is it? that's God's name's there, but that's not prayer. Do you understand? The devil gets us, well, my God, what else can go wrong? Shut up. Don't be saying that stuff. Praise God. We're going to, my goodness, I must be somebody because i got a lot of hell to fix. I'm going to start praying. Father, I think you spoil my needs. i got the mind of Christ and the wisdom of God. I'm in the right place at the right time. This is going to be good. You're going to work all things out to my good. Even if I've sinned, you're going to forgive me quick. Lord, if I've committed it, 1 John 1, 9 says, listen, a believer who says they don't sin is a liar. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can get right that quick. Don't ever sit there and lament over a dumb decision. Some of your marriage is in trouble because you're holding something over each other. Stop that. Get out of your past. God's mercy is new in the morning. Let's go build a life. Jesus didn't find a church. He built one. You don't find a marriage, you build one. You don't find a family, you build one. We need to, every day I get to build my family. As proud as I am of my kids today, I realize there'll be something coming and we're going to have to fix. We get, I get to do that. I'm my problem solving, fixing machine. I'm a child of God. I'm on planet earth in the last days. I storm the gates of hell. I make the devil sweat when I wake up. You ought to get up every morning and think, the devil just broke out in a sweat. Oh my God, they're awake. The world has conditioned us to go to bed afraid. I leave a light on. What was that noise? Did you lock the door? I heard something. <laughs> Years ago, and I was in Bible school, it didn't mean anything then, it does now. Smith Wigglesworth was over in Australia. He said he woke up one night and he heard a noise and it was just, uh, you know, candles. You had a lot of uh, candle thing. So he struck a message because he heard a noise in his bedroom, and there's a rocking chair next to his bed. Now, this is what he said. I don't know if it's true. It's just what he said. I don't think he lied. He said, he lit that candle and looked up, and he said, it was the devil incarnate sitting in a rocking chair next to my bed, just rocking back and forth and looking at me. <laughs> That's better than a noise in the closet. Right. <laughs> he said he looked at the devil, and the devil just standing there and rocking right next to his bed. Wigglesworth said, oh, it's just you. <laughs> Blew the candle out, went back to sleep. <laughs> My, my wife cried, called me crying. My father, my daddy's, they say he's about dead. He fell over and he's unconscious. He's bleeding all over. I said, shut up. Just be quiet. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to take care of him. I'm going to lay hands on him. i got to go change clothes. I'm on the track right now. And I'm just praying, just praying as hard as I can. Because I think he'll live and not die and declare the glory of God. And I'm in the right place at the right time, Lord. I'm here by a divine appointment. You knew I was going to be here when he's going to fall. And we're going to fix this. You're going to work all things out to my good. With long life, will you satisfy? I'm quoting scriptures like a machine gun bullet. I don't feel one goosebump. I feel no anointing whatsoever. I'm sweating from getting off that tractor. I've got my clean clothes. And I'm driving to the emergency room to the hospital. I'm going past family. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay, where's he at? Where's he at? You know, and I walk in and said, hey, I'm a minister. And i got to show my card. They don't care that I'm family. I just want to pray with them. So I went over and laid my hands on and prayed over. Finally, he looked at us. Hey, what you doing here? <laughs> and I said, I'm here because they said you were dead. But evidently not. 
Oh, I just fell over and hit my head. Yep, that's right. Isn't that something? <laughs> you rascal, you. <laughs> Caretakers were frustrated with him because he, he goes to bed at 6 and gets up at 2. It makes them mad, so they had a family member prescribe a a pill from his doctor. It's legal. It's all legal. It's a narcotic. You can only take it 30 days at a time. And it was to calm his anxiety. And why don't you give him this pill? Because he fell over because he passed out. He got up and like, boom. <laughs> we never passes out. Like, why did he pass out? Well, we gave him a pill because he's just anxious. About what? He's 96. <laughs> What's he anxious about? Well, he keeps getting up. It's because he goes to bed at 6 o'clock. You go to bed at 6 o'clock, you'll get up at 2. He's just all messed up with his time. We can't change it. And so they gave him this pill so he'd sleep, you know, like 12 and 14 hours. So he stays sleepy all the time. He just, I, I'm, I'm getting this from the, from the nurse. Like, yeah, we walked in. He just sitting there slobbers around his mouth. His mouth's open. It's the middle of the daylight. Who gave him this? Family. What family? With this family. Really? Praise God. So you don't want to hassle him, so you gave him a pill to knock him out so he can fall over and hit his head and almost kill himself. Is that the bottom line here? Now that didn't go good. That yeah, did not go good. Because I'm a minister of the gospel and I'm a peacemaker. I'm here to solve problems. So we had to call some doctors and some attorneys and get him off that medicine. And we finally got the doctor to sign he can never take it again. So he won't get himself killed. Now, why am I sharing this? You people, some of you today are going through stuff so stinking complicated, you don't even know where the end of it is. You don't know how you're going to get out. I have no idea. I don't know what we're going to do. God does. God said, roll all your cares over on me where I care for you. Every time hell gets in your head, Father, I don't know what we're going to do, but you do. I got the mind of Christ, the wisdom of God, and you're going to order my steps, direct my path, and we're going to solve this in Jesus' name. Every time a doubt hits your head, Father, I thank you. I'm telling you right now, I'm going to be a blessing. I'm a blessing looking for a place to happen. I'm the answer to this problem right now. I'm not going to grab about it and get my pom-poms out from hell. I am the solution. I am a child of God. I'm the salt and I'm the light. You've got to start saying what God says about what you're dealing with or it will get deeper. We are in the greatest decade of human history. We're going to ride the high places until Jesus comes to get us, but you've got to do it like God said. When Jesus had a problem, he spoke to the problem, not griped about it. Well, my God, the woman's bleeding to death. Got blood all over my ankle down there. Look at that. I can't believe that. I'm just trying to get down the street here. And that bloody woman got my blood all Look, you got my shirt all bloody. My God, woman. No, he said, get up, woman. Your faith made you whole. When he's trying to go over and say, you know, his daughter's dying. Like, he, he never griped about anything. He just, he spoke to the wave. He spoke to the devil. He spoke to his problem. He didn't talk to people about it. He talked to the problem. Rise and be healed. Who have mercy. Well, we got a lot of people, and we only got one kid's lunch. That's all we need. Set them down. Get them in groups of 50, because we're going to have to take up some leftovers. And the loaves and fishes story is incredible, except it's true. What would you do? I fed 5,000 men, plus their wives and kids, with, with just some loaves and fishes. Why? I'm a problem solver. What happened? The boat's sinking. The storm's coming. We're all going to drown. He got up and said, hush. Be quiet and stay that way. He calmed the storm. What would you do? He solves problems. The things I do, you do. Quit griping about your kids. Quit griping about your teenagers. Quit griping about your in-laws. Quit griping about your spouse. Fix something. Solve a problem. Father, I believe I'm here by divine appointment. I'm a blessing in the middle of hell. I'm going to storm hell today, and we're getting ready to make hell sweat. We're going to solve some problems. We're going to get a better job and a better career and a better family. Whew, I'm excited to be alive. You've got to get that in you. I'm going to pray this prayer. Bow your heads. Father, I ask for your anointing today upon every one of us that are here. Lord, you said in the last days you would pour out your spirit on all flesh. Father, you promised our sons and daughters would prophesy with dream dreams and have visions. You'd show us things to come, Father. Lord, I know what the devil's doing, but we're not in his family. We're in your family. We are the head, not the tail, above and not beneath. Everything we set our hand to is going to prosper. This is our greatest moment. Thank you for letting us be alive in the last days. Thank you for calling us into the body of Christ, Father. Thank you for placing us in the body of Christ where we are. Father, if we're blinded in any area today, take that blindness from our minds and lighten the eyes of our understanding. I declare that the joy of the Lord is our strength, Father. 
We may, Father, make us one together, not only as members of the body of Christ, but make us one together as a family. I speak unity over every home. I speak the love of God shed upon their hearts by the Holy Ghost. These people are going to be people of laughter and people of love, Father. This is a problem-solving group of people, Lord. We are a blessing looking for a place to happen. We're going to stop griping and complaining, Lord. Forgive us for the words we said and the thoughts we thought. Father, we're going to have the mind of Christ, and we're going to end our lives strong. Abraham finished strong. Isaac finished strong. David finished strong. Father, we want to finish strong in Jesus' name. So let us start living it right now. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Heads bowed and eyes closed just for one more minute. Nobody looking just for one short minute. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Two questions. Nobody looking. Two questions. Are you here today and say, Joe, I do not know Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I have never, ever asked him into my heart, but God's dealt with me today, and I'd like to do something about that. If that's you, I would like to pray a 30-second prayer over you right out of the book of Romans. The Bible says this, those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's that simple. In just a few seconds, I'm simply going to ask you, if that's you, to raise your hand, wave it at me, put it right back down. I'm going to see it. God's going to see it. If you're willing to acknowledge you need a Savior, God in heaven will save you right where you stand. Old things will pass away. All things will become new. God will make you a new creature in Christ. Or perhaps you're here today and say, Joe, I'm saved, but my life's not turned out like I thought. I'm not where I need to be. I let Jesus save me, Joe, but I'm not yielded to his lordship. But Joe, I'm ready to get serious with God today. I've been convicted. I want Jesus Christ not just to be my savior. I want Jesus Christ to come in and be the Lord of my life, my family, my faith, my future, my finance. I am ready for the lordship of Jesus. If that's you, you can pray the exact same prayer out of Romans. We're going to pray with these other people. And God in heaven will forgive you every sin you have ever committed in a moment of time. Take your sins as far as the east is from the west. Put them in the depths of the sea. There'll be no record of your sins in heaven. And God will make the devil pay back seven times whatever he stole from you. It will never get easier than this. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, you said, Joe, that's me. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life for the first time. Would you pray that prayer over me? Or, Joe, that's me. I'm ready to get serious to God. I want to rededicate my life this morning. Would you pray that prayer? If that's you on either count right now, would you simply get your hand up and wave it at me and put it right back down? Pray for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your bonus. Thank you. Thank you back there. Yes, sir. Thank you, hon. I see your hand. Anyone else? Joe, pray for me. Thank you. I see your hand over there. Thank you over there. I see your hand back there. Anyone else? Back there, I see your hand. Yes, anyone else? It'll never get easier than this. God does the saving, the forgiving, the redeeming. All he needs is your permission. Anyone else before we pray? Joe, I've not raised my hand yet. Please, including your prayer. Anyone else? Yes, thank you. Thank you for your bonus. All right. Hands down, heads bowed, eyes closed. Here's what we're going to do. Those of you who've raised your hands, we're going to pray with you. I told you it'll never get easier than this. God is about to do the two greatest miracles he can do, save souls and forgive sins. So people, let's help them pray. Everybody, say this after me. Heavenly Father. I thank you for Jesus. I do believe he is your son. He died for me, and you raised him from the dead. I ask him now, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me. Forgive me of my sins. I receive you by faith with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Now, Father, for the many hands that went up this morning, either for the first time ever or as a reaffirmation of their faith in you, according to their obedience in your holy word as of right now, they are cleansed, forgiven, blood-bought, born-again children of God. Jesus Christ is their Lord. The devil's not their Lord anymore. They are your sheep. You are their shepherd. They will hear your voice, and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. Proverbs says you're going to talk to them when they go to sleep, when they wake up and they walk during the day, they're in your hand. No man can take them out. We welcome them both into the family, back into the fold. And Lord, I ask as always, as they leave today, would you surround them with a shield of divine favor? May people begin to look at them with a new set of eyes. And Lord, would you bring godly friends, not wimpy, not weak, not evil. Bring godly friends into their life that will begin to strike iron with because they've grown and become all you want them to be. We thank you for them in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Give the Lord a hand clap, would you? Praise God.